please do join me in taking out your Bibles once again and turning to Luke chapter 6. Let's uh, go to the Lord again in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It is indeed a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Um, But some things we know are hard to understand. So Father, be pleased to give us understanding, uh, give us a growing desire um, to know your word, to put it in practice, and to give you thanks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today, uh, as I mentioned, we're kind of getting stuck on a couple of verses before we move uh, forward. And I trust um, that it's where God wants us to be. I know it's where I need to be, and I hope it will be the case for all of us. Um, You know, I think there's probably two verses in all of Scripture that are the most familiar. Uh, One known and not believed, and and the other known and, and believed. And and I, I think, and I'm speaking mainly uh, kind of what's well known, not only in the church, but outside the church. Um, and we know that John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We know that that's probably the most well known verse in all of scripture that the world knows, but yet many in the world don't believe that. If they, if they would, they, they would turn to Jesus. We know it's a mysterious working of the Spirit, but that's what happens. But this other well-known verse goes something like this. It's not even that long. Do not judge or judge not. Now, you ask them, where's that located? And they don't know. It's somewhere in the Bible. You see, they know that Christians are not supposed to judge. Who are they to say that I am wrong or what I believe is wrong or what I'm doing is wrong? I mean, that has got to be the go-to verse that many in the world turn to. Well, yes, the words... Specifically, the command, do not judge or judge not, are indeed in the Bible. But what many people may believe it means is not what it means. I think this is a good example of a wooden, literal interpretation of a verse or two can often and does get you often into trouble when it's violently ripped out of its context. Judge not. Do not judge. Well, what is the immediate context of judge not? It's the Sermon on the Plain, Luke chapter 6, uh, verses 20 through 49, with a few words of introduction starting in verse 17. Uh, Beginning a couple of weeks ago, and for the next couple of weeks, we're unpacking and exploring the Sermon on the Plain, this teaching of Jesus, in some ways parallel to the Sermon on the Mount, in other ways different that uh, Matthew records. Here in the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus is training his apostles and he's teaching them and all of his disciples about the identity and ethics 
of those people who are coming into the kingdom of God. You see, it has to do with the new life and the new way of life that Jesus is bringing. These two verses that we're going to be looking at in just a few minutes uh, comes right on the heels of love your enemies. Jesus is building on the principle of loving one's enemies. Remember last week we looked at verses 27 through 36. Who are we to love? How are we to love? And why are we to love? You know, it's hard enough to love our family, our friends, but our enemies? Are you kidding me? No way. It's love our enemies. It's, it's pretty much razor thin next to impossible, isn't it? Yet we know at the heart of the gospel, at the heart of the Christian faith, is a man who loved his enemies to death. He loved his enemies to his own death. What kind of love is this that God has showed us? Amazing love. How can it be, as Charles Wesley wrote, that thou, my God, shouldst die for me. And what kind of love are we to show one another, including our enemies, whether they be the enemies out there or in here, or as we also discussed, the enemies that reside in our own self. You know, sometimes we are our own worst enemy. What kind of love do we show them? Amazing love. Amazing love, love that has no other explanation other than it is tied in with the amazing love that we ourselves have received. Now, as I began thinking about today, I was going to go through verse 42, but I got stuck, like I said, in the roundabout. Eventually, we'll, 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 we'll keep going straight, but we're just going to circle around for the next few minutes here in verses 37 and 38. Let me... Uh, Read, join with me as I read. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Well, I want us to notice uh, first the, the structure of the text. Uh, from verses 34, excuse me, 37 through the first part of 38, there's four commands in two pairs. Uh, four statements follow, or four promises. And then in the middle of verse 38, there is an illustration. An illustration coming from the everyday life of agriculture, commerce, cooking, and then at the end of verse 38 is a comprehensive summary statement, a comprehensive promise. Well, our journey through these two verses within the context of the Sermon on the Plain, um, the Gospel according to Luke, the New Testament, and the entire Bible will make three planned stops. Three planned stops. What it doesn't mean is our first stop. What it does mean is our second stop, and why it matters is our third stop. What doesn't it mean? What does it mean? And why it matters? So let's, 
look first. Let's stop at what it doesn't mean. Here, we're going to see the importance of deconstructing than constructing. Uh, the importance of tearing down before you build up. It's the demo or the demolition that's got to take place before the remodeling. You see, it's often necessary to clear up a misinterpretation, a misunderstanding before proceeding. Um, I think those of us that are looking at um, the prodigal God have, have heard something over and over again. That is, what people think of Christianity may not be what the Bible says Christianity is about. And so many that we know around us, and in fact, many of us at times probably believe that Christianity is just do this or just do that. Or maybe we believe what Benjamin Franklin said, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Well, if you've got a faulty belief, that belief has got to be deconstructed before a correct belief, a true belief, can be put in its place. So it's important before we jump into what does this mean to, to think about for a moment or two what it does not mean. Judge not, condemn not, forgive not, or excuse me, forgive, yeah, there is not a not there. That's good. Forgive and give. Um, let's dwell on this judge not. Well, it doesn't mean, of course, that Christians are not to be discerning. That they're not, that they shouldn't make distinctions. Distinctions between right and wrong and true and false and good and evil. Yes, a Christian needs to judge and distinguish and discern what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false, what is good. What is evil? I mean, Jesus teaches his disciples, and we'll see this later in Luke, that, that sometimes you, you do indeed judge what other people do. Uh, judges in the civil courts judge. It's not ruling against judgment. Jesus will go on, as we will see in verses 43 and, and, and 45, uh, either next week or the following week, that that the character, the heart, can be recognized by the conduct, the hands, the fruit. What kind of tree can be determined by what kind of fruit is produced? So it does not mean that Christians are not to be discerning, and it also does not mean that Christians are not to make decisions based on discernment and based on distinctions. You see, put positively, Christians are to be discerning, between right and wrong, true and false, and good and evil. And, they're, and they are able to make distinctions when it comes to morals and ethics. So just briefly, when you hear judge not, it doesn't mean don't use your mind. Don't use your powers of observation. Don't distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil, true and false. But it wouldn't do us any good, right, to stop here. We've got to go beyond what it doesn't mean. We need to get to our next stop, and that next stop is what it does mean. What it does mean. Now, as we work our way through these four commands and following, I think a key to understanding, at least I believe that this is a key to understanding, is that the commands come in pairs, 
And the second kind of helps us interpret that first. Judge not is immediately, quickly followed by condemn not. Forgive is immediately followed by, by give. Now, judge and condemn, don't do it. What kind of judgment is being talked about here? It's the condemnation judgment. Don't judge, don't condemn, and yet forgive and give. I mean, if you think about it, forgive and give are even related, right? You see that in how they're similar. So a key to understanding, I believe, is just to see this is in pairs. It would be different if you heard judge not and you will not be judged. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Well, let's look at the four commands. Two negative, do not, and two positive. What this means is do not have a harsh attitude toward others, criticizing and condemning them. You see it? Judge, condemn. What Jesus warns against is, is the hypocrisy of those who condemn others for what they themselves are guilty of. And we'll see that in particular next week in verses 41 and 42, but it's still present. I hadn't really thought much about projection until the past few years of how you're projecting on someone else what you yourself are doing. And you think that by projecting it on someone else, you're getting yourself off the hook. What Jesus is warning about when he says, judge not, condemn not, forgive and give, is he's, he's, he's warning his listener against the failure to show mercy. Look back up at verse 36. Verse 35 describes God as kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. And then he goes on to say, be merciful even as your father is merciful. You see, this is just an expansion, an exposition of what it means to be merciful. Judge not, condemn not, forgive and give. This is a call to discontinue a tendency that we all have and I certainly know I have to criticize and find fault with others. Forgive and give. There's a continual nature seeking the positive well-being of others. If you were to summarize these four commands, judge not, condemn not, forgive and give, it's almost be slow and be quick. I think athletes know that it's important at times to be slow in your motions. It's to be quick in your motions. Here, there's the call to be slow to judge, slow to condemn, quick to forgive, quick to give. But it's not just the commands that we have here. We have an illustration. We have an illustration of an attitude and the actions that come from these commands. And it's an everyday example of measuring out grain for purchase. Let's read that again. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Well, what on earth does that mean? 
put into your lap. Well, good measure, an abundant measure. And here are three descriptions that this good measure is pressed down and shaken together. Well, what does that mean? It's a measuring cup, imagine, where grain is poured in. You press it down and then you shake it. And what happens to the grain? It settles, right? There's more room, right? The generous seller is going to make more room. And it's, as it were, poured into your lap. It's making it up close and personal. You see, in that day and age, if you didn't have a container, you had what you were wearing, right? And you had that outer garment. So you went to the market, you bought the grain, they measured it out, and then it was poured out into your lap and you cinched it up and went on your way. And this is abundant and overflowing. Now, whereas we may have a hard time really seeing this illustration, to the original hearer, it is abundance. It is more than asked for. It is generosity by the seller or the giver. It illustrates the rich blessings God will bestow upon those who are generous toward others. You see, the person who loves like this will receive the same love and more from God. And we really see that in this comprehensive and grand summary statement or promise. Look how verse 38 ends. For the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Imagine that grain seller not taking the time to press down, to shake together, to give his customer more. He may be following the letter, but he's really missing the spirit of generosity. He, according to this, love the harvest. Whatever you sow, you'll also reap. He'll get back an abundance because he's given an abundance. Now, this particular two verses, judge not, condemn not. This is a warning against something that until a few years ago, I had never heard of. Those of us in the adult class have been thinking about mortification and vivification, but today is a word that some of us may never have heard of, but it fits. It's a warning against censoriousness. Censoriousness. Has anybody ever heard that word? Well, let's go to school for a few minutes here. Jonathan Edwards in Charity and Its Fruits. He wrote it in 1749, what Edwards is known as the greatest theologian America has ever Produced in Charity and Its Fruits, which is an exposition of 1 Corinthians 13 predominantly, he, he, he recognizes that the Bible condemns censoriousness. And what is that? It's a disposition to think evil of others. And he says the Bible promotes charitable judgments, a disposition to think the best of others. So this judge not, condemn not 
is taking on this flavor of thinking the worst of others, not the best of others. You see, censoriousness, not even a, it's a hard word to pronounce, it's a hard word to spell. It's a compound sin consisting of some elements like harsh judgment, fault-finding by a person who's negative and destructive towards other people, and get this, enjoys actively seeking out failings. My friends, my failings are sooner or later going to be evident to all of you. And your failures are going to be evident to one another as well. But the censorious person is the person who goes around with the clipboard, as it were, looking for faults and actually has a perverse pleasure in pointing them out because, of course, they're not guilty of what they point out, are they? At least they don't think they are. An English Methodist pastor, theologian by the name of Joseph Benson, in 1748, around the same time as Edwards, but in England, said this, Judge not those about you in a rigorous and severe manner, nor pass unnecessary or uncharitable censures upon them, as many of your countrymen are in the habit of doing. But... Act toward one another in a spirit of tender care. Jesus is warning his apostles, his disciples, against this censorious spirit. Guess who's having to deal with it already? Jesus himself. And while we're in school, let's uh, quote one more. The late John Stott, pastor, theologian from England. When he's commenting on this verse, Matthew 7, 1, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. To sum up, the command to judge is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men, by suspending our critical powers which help distinguish us from animals, but to renounce the presumption, the presumptive ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judges. Did you hear that? He's saying, be men and women who have the sense to distinguish good and evil, true and false, but do not be men and women who set yourselves up to be God. Judge not, condemn not. We've now made two stops and we need to get to the third. Why do these two verses matter? Why are they important? A good way, I think, to ask ourselves that question is, or understand this is, what would we lack if these two verses were missing? What would we lack if it went from be merciful even as your father is merciful, then jump to 39? He also told them a parable. What would we, what would we lack? What would be missing? Well, it matters because it has to do with interpersonal relationships, life and living in the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom of God is not just hereafter, it's here and now. Didn't we just sing about like an equal footing at the cross 
There's others with us, and we're still sinners. So we've got to learn to get along by rightly, humbly, tenderly interacting with one another. You see, Jesus here is developing his description of mercy. He's displaying in his teaching God's gracious acts among his people. See, our interpersonal relationships are to be modeled on and guided by how God deals with us. Remember when Moses was getting the law? Exodus 34, and God has a choice of how to describe himself, right? I mean, if you were God and you wanted people to obey and do what you say, would you start out by saying this? The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. What kind of God is that? It's the one true and living God. That's how he's revealed himself to be. Why it matters? Because censoriousness is a great sin. And these two verses put it right in front of us. I was talking to a fellow pastor several months ago and we were talking about a particular situation and he says, doesn't he understand that the specificity with which he's measuring is gonna, he's gonna be measured like that? What was he referring to? He was referring to this, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. My friends, what's the measure you're using toward others? Do you look for the best in others or do you look for the worst in others? And my friends, I am terrified to say that because in saying that, I I convict myself. But the first step in change, right, is to be aware. But that's not the only question to ask. The question to ask is this, what's the measure God uses with you? Does God look for the best or the worst in you? I think we know the answer. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. As far as the east is from the west, he removes our sins. We heard last week from Hosea 11, even though my people has sinned and hardened their hearts, how, how, how could I abandon them? I love them. You want to be like me and maybe work on changing how you, the the measure you're using toward others? Spend a lot of time being amazed by the measure that God uses with you. Well, it's no accident that Jesus' words against judgmentalism come right after this call to be merciful as God is merciful. These four commands are a call for, I believe, appropriate self-examination. So this morning, I woke up about 3.30, couldn't sleep, and as is often the case, I will 
sometimes go online and eavesdrop on some stuff people are saying. And I went to hear what Michael Reeves, the president of Union Theological Seminary in the United Kingdom, wrote recently. And he's the author of the book, What Does It Mean to Fear the Lord, that we gave out a year or so ago. And back on the 13th of February, just a few days ago, he makes this statement. Those who know grace are gracious. That's all he said. Those who know grace are gracious. Now a statement like this, I believe, can hit us in one of two ways. We may see it as good news, encouraging news. Or on the other hand, we may see it as bad news, discouraging news. You see, whether you see it as good news or bad news, of course, when you're looking in the mirror, the next step to take is the same. Run to Jesus. You either thank him for his grace or you ask him for his grace. Those who know grace are gracious. Those who know mercy are merciful. Those who know the love of God in Christ share the love of God in Christ. My friends, here's another opportunity to encounter the good news of the gospel. In Luke, we see Jesus came to save all kinds of people lost in all kinds of ways. And some of the people Jesus is going to save, we will see they are lost because they do judge, they do condemn, they do not forgive, and they don't give. My friends, the good news is Jesus seeks and finds lost people like this, lost in these ways, and he calls them and he changes them. These two verses, or at least the beginning of verse 37, is well known. And hopefully, it's well, or at least better, understood now. And well lived. Well lived? That is, lived by faith. Remembering that God rewards those who seek him by faith. He rewards them with himself. He is the reward. My friends, whether this text today is good news or bad news, take it to the Lord in prayer. Remembering what we are about to sing, that with God, there is an everlasting kindness. With God, there is an everlasting kindness that he has lavished and continues to lavish on us. My friends, may we all be merciful, even as our Father in heaven is merciful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words.
these words that might as well be, for some of us, in neon lights, flashing. Father, help us to judge rightly, not judge wrongly, and certainly not judge in a manner to condemn. Father, forgive us for trying to be God and help us to love one another. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.